0: This morning's reading is going to be from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 25, and that can be found on page 907 of the Church Bibles. So that's John chapter 21, verses 1 to 25, page 907. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written.
1: Well, thank you to our musicians and everyone who's led uh, the service. John chapter 21. Now, this was the first uh, chapter of the Bible that I ever preached on, in, uh, on the 21st of November 1999. And on the 20th of November 1999, I preached the sermon to Sally in an empty church on the Saturday evening in the cold. And at the end of Uh, my practice, she just looked at me and said, you need to go back to your desk. (laughs) So um, I did, and uh, who knows what resulted. Um, uh, So um, I didn't have the confidence last night to have a shot. (laughs) It, It was a really significant passage for me, not preaching it for the first time, but really in terms of my commission or call to ministry, And that is a beautiful passage in the Bible and full of punch and power and dignity and worth and much for us to learn. So let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful passage. It is that. And we really want to do it justice. Help me to teach it clearly and equally help us to listen clearly and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, next week, God willing, we go back to Hebrews, but today we'll complete our series on John's account of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, verse 1 of our passage, every word in John's gospel counts, after this. After this is not only a temporal marker in the sense of after the events described in chapter 20. It does mean that, but it means more than that. John 21, like John 1, John 1 is a prologue, John 21 is an epilogue. After this means, after all that I've said in this gospel. And so we'll reach back a couple of times into John's gospel four headings on the sheet. Um, we'll get the first two done in full and just touch on three and four. Firstly, a miracle and a meal, uh, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And when John writes that, we're meant to ask, in what way? And a group of disciples are together. There are seven of them. At Peter's initiative, they go fishing. It's the first mention of fishing in John's Gospel. Figures in the other Gospels, but not in John. They go fishing, but catch nothing. And as the day was breaking, it would have been dawn. Jesus stood on the shore. And the way John tells this, again, is significant. Jesus stood on the shore. That recalls the earlier resurrection appearances of Jesus. So, chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them. Chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was him. There's nothing sort of, there's no hidden meaning there. They just didn't realize it was him, a little bit like if somebody turns up and you don't expect them to be there, you don't immediately recognize them. They are close to the shore, a hundred yards out, so they could have a conversation. Jesus addresses them as children. Strange. Children, do you have any fish? Now, at that point, Bible commentaries and preachers are tempted to kind of read between the lines and think, well, how would Peter have reacted? But we have nothing of that here. It's just this extraordinary question. Children, do you have any fish? It's intimate, it's familial, it's direct. What John does tell us, and he was there, eyewitness, that they did what Jesus told them and put their net on the other side of the boat, and suddenly it was full of fish. Later on, John tells us they were large fish, and that's just natural, historical. I mean, if you catch a large fish, you're going to measure it. It was... They were large fish, and there were 153 of them. And the point of that is that there were so many, and if you were a fisherman, you would know that that was far too many. And when you add into the fact that they were large fish, the net should have been shredded. And this is a miracle. And John is the first to realize that it's Jesus, verse 7, That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself in his gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, I don't really understand why he did this, he put on his outer garment, for he'd taken it off for work and threw himself into the sea. Any explanation afterwards would be welcome, (laughs) apart from the fact that that's what he did. John says, look, that's what he did. And notice the focus is on John and on Peter. The other disciples, verse 8, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. A miracle, then a meal. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have caught so Simon Peter, notice again the focus on Peter, went aboard and hauled the net full of large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and just listened to the resonances of what he says. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised. Now, we might have expected verse 14 to read, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised. But John says Jesus was revealed to his disciples. Why does John use the language of revelation? Well, I think in part, or in main part, because of the purpose of Jesus' miracles in John's gospel. They are signs, that's the word John uses for miracles, that reveal who Jesus is, that we might believe in him and have life in his name. Now, if you've got a Bible in front of you or on your phone, just glance back to the end of chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Every Bible book has a purpose, a reason for it having been written, and uh, in some of the Bible books we'll get told what that purpose is. So John 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these signs, including the one in John 21, these miracles are written, and this is The purpose of John, and this is the intended purpose of the Holy Spirit as he works with his word right now, these are written, John 21 is written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this sign in John's gospel at the end is intended to reveal to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we might have life in his name. Now why, and many of us are Christians, is this relevant I have always found this passage really powerful and personal because it reminds us, reminds me, and I hope you, that I know that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that I have life in his name. And you never tire of knowing that as we never tire of singing the same song. What does life in Jesus' name mean? Well, we could find all sorts of answers from the Bible, forgiveness, reconciliation, life in the Spirit, eternal life. But is there something specific in mind here? Do the events here remind us of anything before in John's gospel? Remember how it begins after this. Let's reach back into John's gospel. Is that in John's mind that we do? And the more I've studied this, the more I'm persuaded of the parallels with John chapter 6. And let me just tell you what's there. You might want to have a look and we'll just skate over this though. In John chapter 6, he describes two miracles. Firstly, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people from five barley loaves and two fish. And what's striking about that miracle, it's a miracle of multiplication, is that the crowds that day ate their fill. They were fully satisfied. That's the significance of the fact that there were 12 basketfuls left over. There was more than enough, everything they need. And the same evening back in John 6, when Jesus fed that vast multitude, his disciples set out across the Sea of Tiberias, same sea, that's Galilee, as John 21, for Capernaum. Straining at their oars against a strong wind, Jesus came to them walking on the water. They were afraid, no wonder, but he said to them, I am. He took the name of God. Do not be afraid. And Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples and miraculously brings them to the other side of the sea. Now, these events in John 6, and we're going to reach back behind John 6, these events in John 6 clearly echo the events of the Exodus when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And the parallels with the Exodus is that on the journey to the promised land, Jesus provided bread miraculously for his people. And how they got out of Egypt is through the sea. Jesus, or Moses as it was, uh, led them through the sea. Notice how I jumped to Jesus. But that's right. Now, in John's gospel, Jesus' miracles and signs are typically followed by Jesus' teaching about himself, And here's a couple of verses from John 6, off the back of these two miracles. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, let your mind just run forward to John 21. They come to Jesus, who stands with them, and echoing in their minds, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He provides them bread, but he is the bread of life. Or in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. And imagine in in, in John 21, off the back of his death and resurrection, they really would understand that now. The bread that I give is my body. This is my body. Jesus took bread and gave it to them. All these thoughts running through their minds. And way back in the Exodus and then in the events of John 6, they point forward, of course, to Jesus' death when he rescues us from slavery to sin through his death, his resurrection, immediately before the events in John 21. And now we get to John 21. After all this, Jesus wants to land the plane, as it were, and make sure that his disciples and all who hear this through the centuries have this one final sign, this one final miracle, that they are left in no doubt. And my prayer is that not a single one of us listening here or online will be left in any doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so, what John does wonderfully at this point is he focuses on an individual. Because, in the end of the day, faith in Jesus is a decision of the individual and I've called that on the sheet forgiven and commissioned. And the the spotlight, I've already said this in John's narrative, falls on Peter. And again we need to appreciate the background of what is happening here. Let me just sketch out the background. We covered this in a lot of detail over Easter, but this is certainly in Peter's mind and in the Lord Jesus' mind. Way back in chapter 13, that's a long way in John's gospel and about three months usually in a preaching series, but about a week and a half in real time. On the Thursday night before Good Friday, Jesus spoke at length to his disciples, and at the beginning of that he washed their feet. What a radically provocative, shocking, odd thing for the Christ, the Son of God, to do. He did it to teach them and us that he must be our servant, that the eternal Son of God, who is one with the Father with all the power of God invested in him, takes upon himself the manner of the servant, stooping so tenderly, kneels in humility. Now, we've got to appreciate the the radical nature of that, that the King of glory kneels in humility before us and says, please, will you let me wash your feet? And many just can't come to terms with that. Why can't people come to terms with that? Because they can't come to terms with the fact that they need him to do that. Peter struggled most to let Jesus wash his feet. And then he asked, and this is back in John 13, Jesus going, You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter said, Yes, I can. I will will never ever disown you. I will die with you. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, You'll all fall away. And Peter said, They will, but I won't. And then Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him. Very late on a Thursday evening, just a few hours after that conversation, And into the early hours of Good Friday morning, Jesus went with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested and taken to the home of the high priest to be questioned. All the other disciples did scatter except John and Peter, brave Peter. Peter has bottle, courage. Tremendous courage and loyalty. Now, maybe turn to that bit in your Bibles on your phone John's description of what happened at, uh, in the middle of the night, Good Friday morning, chapter 18, and the section from verses 15 to 27. Peter and John follow Jesus to the home of the high priest and are able to enter the courtyard. And John structures his narrative to make his point, always in threes. First Peter is questioned, verses 17 to 18, then Jesus is questioned, 19 to 24, and then Peter is questioned again, verses 25 to 27. Three rounds of questions, and if you take Peter's questions, there are three questions. So, verse 17, and this is pretty neutral, the servant girl said to Peter, you are not one of them, are you? And he said, you're right, I'm not cold. Peter was standing, notice that word in John, he's standing with those who have rejected Jesus, warming himself by a charcoal fire. Jesus is questioned in the middle, and he is bold and transparent and clear. Back to Peter, verses 25 to 27. Let me just read that. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And then, straight question, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man, whose name was Malchus, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and at once a cock crowed. And when questioned three times, three times Peter denied Jesus. Now, the point of that is even the bravest, and he is the bravest and the best. Courageous, loyal. Followed Jesus that night into the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus needed Peter to see, and he needs us all to see. And this is part of the purpose of John 21, that all of us will understand that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God And we cannot understand that or we will not want to appropriate that unless we first understand that Jesus needs to die to forgive us our sins. Luke in his gospel adds a detail. Immediately while Jesus, Peter was speaking, rather the cock crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he went out and wept bitterly convicted of his sins peter is remorseful and repentant and then just to bring us up to speed following jesus death and burial john records chapter 20 how mary magdalene came to jesus tomb on the first day of the week it was early in the morning still dark she finds the stone rolled away she runs to tell peter and john they run to the tomb john gets there first peter catches up shoves him out the way and goes inside the tomb to stand where Jesus was laid. Peter and John go back to their homes. Here he meets the risen Jesus. She goes and tells the disciples that she has seen the Lord. That evening, the risen Jesus appears to his disciples, all except Thomas, eight days later. Thomas is there. He says, my Lord and my God. After this, we're back in John 21. Now, the miracle With the Exodus and John 6 and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've already seen in the telling of the narrative that the focus is on Peter. It's Peter's decision to go fishing. While it's John who first recognizes Jesus, Peter jumps in. It's almost a mirror of them running to the tomb. John gets there first, Peter jumps in. When repentance comes to an individual of sin, there is no casualness about them. There is an urgency to get to Jesus. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Now, would that have shocked Peter, comforted Peter, probably both? Was the Lord Jesus going to remind him of what he had done? The previous occasion by the fire, there was a conversation with three questions, and here we go again. Again. Now, let me give you the application of this before we look at it. Why is this so precise? Why does Jesus ask three questions again? Why does Peter have three chances to affirm his love for Jesus? Now, here is in narrative form what the epistles say that in Jesus Christ, our sins are completely forgiven. It's a powerful, powerful illustration of that. So verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He singles out Peter because Peter had singled himself out. Do you love me, Peter, more than these other disciples? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Verse 16, He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, notice first, three questions before, three denials, three questions again, three affirmations of love. Peter's threefold denial canceled out by a threefold declaration of uh, love. That's obvious and wonderful. But let's experience the question You know, Jesus could have said, Peter, do you understand that my death paid the price for your sin? That I was your substitute? Do you understand all this rich teaching in John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 about the cross? Do you understand that forgiveness is full and complete? Now, you, you need to understand all that theology. But it's all captured in this question. It's not a question that is apart from that theology. But the way Jesus expresses all of that is with this question, do you love me? That's a striking way to elicit someone's conversion. And when you see and hear that word love in the Bible, we must never cheapen that word. Do you love me? Having watched me, feed that multitude, reminding you of the exodus, having stood in your boat, having walked to you across the water and got you to the other side, reminding you of the exodus? Do you love me, having let me reluctantly wash your feet? Do you love me, having caught my eye, Jesus said, when you denied me? Do you love me when you saw me die? And when you ran to the tomb, hoping against hope that what Mary said might just be true, and you pushed by John and went into the tomb, and you stood there, and all you could see were my folded grave clothes. Yes, Peter, I know you understand all the theology of this, but I'm going to express it in this way. Because this is what's going to commission you for your future. Do you love me? Now, I think that's an enormously powerful and helpful question. And pray that we will never be ashamed to answer that question. So let's hear it. Jesus says to us, do you love me? Do you love me? It is a beautiful, sweet, wonderful thing to be asked by the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we love him. And to say, yes, Lord, And to say, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Yes, Lord, you see into my heart. You know that I love you. And then in the same breath, Jesus commissions him. We are commissioned to service on the basis of forgiveness and expressed devotion. Devotion. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is the shepherd, but he commissions his people to be under shepherds. Feed them. John's gospel that embraces, yes, practical needs when people do not have provision. but feed them. Feed them with the living word of God, which is to feed them on the living bread that is Jesus Christ. Teach them the Bible. Teach them my words. And they will feed on me. And they will have their affections for Jesus raised, their love, their devotion. We've paused and listened to the question, do you love me? And now we pause and listen to the commission, feed my lambs a commission to a lifetime of service. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, a lifetime of service to Jesus and suffering for his sake. Now, our time has gone, just a comment on 3 and 4 to complete the picture. be good to return to these in depth at another time. Verses 20 to 23. In fact, we begin at the second half of verse 19, following Jesus. After saying this, verse 19b, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And this has really struck me. It's so obvious that you'll think, why has it not struck you every week? But it hadn't. When 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 I hear the words, follow me, following Jesus is the Christian life, I I tend to think of Jesus sending me. But that's not how it is. Jesus walks down the beach and he says, follow me. In the Christian life, we are never ahead of him. We are behind him. We are led by him. We are never above him. We are under him. We never take the place of the shepherd. We are dependent, trusting, and obedient. We are never without him. He is with us and provides everything we need. Follow me. Follow me where I call you. Verses 20 to 24 teach us that God calls us on different paths in life. Don't worry about him or her. Follow me. And then verses 24 to 25, the close eyewitness testimony. John says, I was there. Trust me. I've told you it all. I've told you that Peter put on his clothes. I don't know what he was doing. He jumped in the sea. I've told you there were 153 and they were massive fish. But I've told you what Jesus said to Peter in light of all that he had done. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus we thank you for this beautiful passage in the bible that we do not admire nor set lightly to. Lord I pray we pray that we will all be able to answer the question that is direct that is well defined that is clear that is theological but nonetheless expressed in this way do you love me? Yes Lord. I do. So will you feed my sheep? Yes, Lord, I will. And will you follow me? Will you follow me where I call you? Yes, Lord, I will. And will you remember that when I call you to follow me, I am always ahead of you, always above you, always with you, I am the shepherd, you are the under-shepherd, keep it that way.